Good morning. It is great to see everyone here today. Thank you so much, worship team, for an amazing beginning to our worship. You know, we worship through song. We worship also through the message and through our giving. Just one aspect of the many ways that we worship together today. And part of that, I want to begin my time this morning. I want to share with you. Um, I have received emails all the time from, from different folks that we partner with. And, um, but one gentleman in particular, I've received several over the last few weeks. And I just want to share those with you for a moment. He writes this, we are so thankful for our Lord and Savior for his work among us. Last Sunday was the first baptisms ever at the Arabic Church of Cincinnati. One man from Saudi Arabia who accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior a few months ago, and one from Iraq, both of them from a Muslim background. All the glory to our Lord and Savior. Thank you for your prayers and for your support for our ministry among the Arab and Muslim communities. Another email, he said, I am working with eight volunteer church planners now that I'm helping to launch new churches by this time next year. We will be launching eight more Arabic churches in eight different cities around the United States. One of them will be launched next week in Detroit, Michigan. That's actually this week. They're launching that, I believe. And he requires praise, praise the Lord. Our church in Kentucky, the first Arabic church there, will launch on the 9th of April of this year. So this week, they'll be launching that church as well. They don't meet on Sunday. We are also launching uh, the Arabic church of Cleveland, Ohio this summer. Again, thank you so much for being a part, uh, for being part of our Lord movement. Hey, I have to work with some broken English here. Among the Arab, Arab and Muslim communities through us. We appreciate your prayers and support. Please continue to pray for us, Amr Safadi. Uh, for those of you who are here, Brother Amr shared uh, several months ago here. And, uh, he's just one of many churches that we both uh, partner with uh, and for his and, and a few others that we support as well. And just what an encouragement that, you know, as we are so blessed here at Northside and able to, to give and help out others as we began to look at, at others who are planting churches and those who are reaching people that we're not reaching. Uh, maybe that we, God just hasn't called us to that ministry, but he has allowed us to support theirs. And so we can partner together in that. And I just want to continue to, uh, to remind us as a church to look beyond ourselves uh, and for us to continue to be that church that supports others in their work. Continue to pray for all of our church planners, Dwayne Walls in Cincinnati, Ohio as well. Uh, Jeremy Mao in South Dakota and Jason Polk in California and, and all of the church planters, pray for them and continue supporting them and the great work that they're doing so we can continue to hear those reports of all that God is doing through them and with your support as well. I'm going to jump in this morning, and we're going to continue in our study in Genesis. It's entitled, In the Beginning, as you see on the screen. And today, I'm going to do my best to hit chapters 13 and 14. All right, for those of you that are following along in the reading plan, you'll be in week uh, 9 this week, I believe. And yes, I'm, I'm still lagging behind and will pretty much throughout this series. Uh, but I so appreciate Brother Nick filling in last week as I was out. He did an amazing job, did he not? Uh, we are so blessed to have uh, such a talented group of pastors here to fill in and give that opportunity for me as well, and, and I am thankful. You know, in, in 2019, we spent 16 weeks in the book of John, and as we were going through that, I repeatedly shared that the book was really focused on Christology, and what John was doing was painting a portrait of who Jesus Christ is. And in doing so then, so that it helps us now identify our identity in him. 
Then uh, in last, uh, excuse me, in 2021, we spent 31 weeks in the book of Acts. That series was entitled United by the Gospel. And it was during that time where we saw uh, how, though the church went through all kinds of issues and, and, and disagreements and everything else, but repeatedly the church would come back to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and there would be unified. And so we see, saw played out throughout the entire book of Acts then the, the, the mission of the church and that carried out. And now we find ourselves in a 24-week study here in Genesis. And as I said in our beginning, Genesis is not just a history of the beginning of, of the world, but it's really the foundation and the beginning of our theology. That, that is what we know and understand about who God is and therefore our relationship with him. And so in Genesis then, it's really kind of divided into to two parts. I won't say two halves because it's very lopsided, right? But you got two different parts of Genesis. You've got chapters 1 through 11, which just simply focuses on the fact that God created all things. And then he created man and created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We spent a lot of time talking about that. and The, the imago day that every person, whether in the womb or outside, regardless of ethnicity, city color or race creed anything else all created by God in his image on plan and on purpose amen and, but man was given then this task of ruling over all things on God's behalf man however chose to sin to to rebel to turn against God's will and that of course ushered in judgment so we see that played out through the first 11 chapters then the second portion, or second half, if you will, of Genesis, we see in chapters really 13 through 50, through the end of the book, where it focuses more on the great patriarchs, right? With chapter 12 kind of acting as a crucible, if you will, or, or, or turning point of that. Now, the patriarchs are simply the, the line of men that God used in order to establish the nation of Israel. Primarily in Genesis, you see the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right? And, and, and so what we find now as we continue to read through Genesis is we see these individual narratives kind of played out in Scripture. Remember, all of the Bible is one narrative telling the story of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. We saw it in the very beginning. Do you remember that? The gospel was there. It was present even in the, in the garden, right? And we see that image of Christ throughout all Scripture. But in Genesis, we also see these individual narratives, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead. Now, as we look to these patriarchs, though, let me say this. So we often make a mistake that we kind of land in one of two extremes when we look at the patriarchs. The, the first is we try to see ourselves in them, right? We, we try to make ourselves the patriarch. Yeah, that's me. I see me. You're not Abram, Right? You're not Isaac. You're not Jacob. It's not you, right? You're not them. You may recall as we were going through our journey through the New Testament, and especially in the epistles or the letters, I often said this, that it is not written to us, but it is written for us, right? The book of Ephesians was a letter written to the church at Ephesus. It was then distributed to all the churches and eventually even to us today. It wasn't written to us, but certainly for us. The, the Corinthian letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they were two of, of four letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In doing so, he was dealing with some very specific issues they were facing. It wasn't written to us, but we face some of those same issues today and even in the church and certainly in the world. And so it is written for us. Well, similarly, when we look to the patriarchs then, I want you to understand this. It's not about you, but it is for you. 
That's their story. But we look to them and we learn through their life, not only uh, the, 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 the good decisions they made, the poor, we, we learn from, uh, from their, their failures as much as from their great successes, but we also see the relationship that God has with them and also with us as well. Now, the second mistake we make is we treat the patriarchs kind of mythologically, if you will, right? We view them as these biblical superheroes, right? Like, I mean, just, uh, I mean, amazing, right? And they're not. They're real men. In fact, we see repeatedly, especially in the life of Abram, where God is always rescuing Abram from himself, from the, the mistakes that he makes. And we see this also, you know, when you tell your life story, when you tell your life story to someone else, what do you do? You give the highlights, don't you? Right? And for people that, 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 that do uh, social media and Instagram and all this stuff, I say this often, you, you know, you put out there what is known as a real R-E-E-L. But that thing ain't R-E-A-L, is it? Right? Well, you put the highlight, the Christmas card, right? Man, you pick that perfect picture and you send it out to everyone. Look at this, perfect family. You don't show the six hours of yelling, screaming, crying, hitting, biting, right? Not to mention what the kids are doing, right? Just, just getting everybody ready for it all, right? You don't show all that. You don't show the 75 pictures it took where, you know, poking each other and somebody's crying and all that. But there's that one out of the all-day preparation, you've got that one. And that becomes, this is us, right? That's what we do. We, we, we show the, the highlights. Now, your critics, however, they do just the opposite, don't you? They're going to show your failures, that, that's what they're going to show, those who are critical of you. But what I love about the Bible, it gives the whole story. It shares everything. And see, if the Bible were made up by men, you wouldn't get the whole story. If it was just the, the critics, you would have only the low points. If it was just the men who were trying to create this new religion, it wouldn't be as self-deprecating as the Bible is. But the Bible shows the, the whole story. And we see that played out in the life of Abram. Last week, uh, Nick introduced Father Abram, right? And in doing so, he preached about not only his calling to, to leave and, and to follow God's will, but also his compromise, right? I mean, this great patriarch, he blew it. I mean, he blew it big time, didn't he? If, if you weren't here last week, I'll give you a quick summary. At age 75, Abram was called by God to, to leave where he was, though he was successful and, and, I mean, just fat and happy, but to leave and just to go to a place God said, I'll tell you when you get there. And he goes. Takes with him his, his wife and, uh, and all their possessions and even his nephew Lot. And then when it says possessions, by the way, remember that those households, there would be many, let's call them employees that we would look at today that, that would travel with them. Those that, that, that tended the flocks, those that tended the, the, the family needs and, and everything else. So they all pick up and leave. by faith, he goes, he leaves. But when he gets to a place, all of a sudden there's a, a famine that struck, wasn't it? And now this man who just left by faith, a famine hits, and instead of continuing to look to God to provide, he looks to Egypt instead. Now he's led not by faith, but by fear. And trusted Egypt even more than he trusted God to provide for him. Now, when they get on the, on the threshold of Egypt, then you, you may recall where Abram had that conversation with Sarai, his wife, right? And he said, girl, you, you're gorgeous. You are drop-dead gorgeous, and you know it, and I know it. He said, but here's the thing. Pharaoh's going to see it also. And we get there. When you come to town, 
He's going to want to take you for himself, and he's going to harm me, right? He says, so, so, so here's what we need to do, because I love you so much, and I know you love me so much, let's just tell him you're my sister, which was half true, right? And then that way, everything will be good with me. And ladies, she went for it. Now, can you imagine your husband? And she did it. She said, sounds like a good idea. So they do just that. And by the way, you know for the rest of his life, that had to come back up. Every time she made a mistake and he said something, you know she's dropping this one back out, right? Oh, you remember that time you weren't man enough to? Had to come up every time. But they do it. And sure enough, they, they get there. They see he's beautiful. Oh, it's just his, uh, his uh, sister. And, and so her, uh, Pharaoh takes, him, takes her into his harem. Now, what's interesting, just like we've seen in previous chapters, God is not promoting what Abram's choice was, this sin, but he did allow it. He, he allowed him to go off the rails. And, and it's in that where we still see God's provision. Because what does God do? As Sarah is into Pharaoh's household, God wants to protect her because she is going to bear children to Abram, right? The, the nation of Israel ultimately, right? And so what, is, what does God do? He sends cooties on the whole household of Pharaoh. Let's put it in today's terms. Send them the COVID, right? Sarah walks in, the whole house gets the COVID, everybody but Sarah, Right? And so Pharaoh's like, what in the world's going on? He goes to her. Finally, he's like, I cannot believe you've done this to me. And he sends them out. Now, the irony of that story, Pharaoh, who was a lost man, acted more righteous than Abraham did. Didn't he? I mean, when he was confronted, he, he did what was right. Abraham didn't. So he sends them out, and that's where our story picks up today. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. You can open your Bibles uh, or the book that we gave or look in the church app this morning. Genesis 13, beginning in verse 1. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. You may want to notate that, and Lot with him. Verse 2, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abraham called, Abram called on the name of the Lord there. Now, Abraham, right, the, 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 the cooties or the COVID came right on his household. He says, you got to get out of here. They, they, they do just that. And I want you to notice he immediately leaves Egypt and returns to the altar near Bethel. And when he returns to that altar, it says he then calls on God. Now, I want us to focus here. Matter of fact, if we don't talk about anything else today, I want us to see this altar that he returned to. Now, altars in those days when God had done something favorable or if God had given a covenant to his people, the, the, the man of God, the patriarch, would, would build an altar. They would stack stones. It would often have a flat top where they could do sacrifices. But, but they would place that altar there. And that altar really was a testimony of God's love, a testimony of what God had done, a testimony of the covenant that God had made with man. It was a testimony to stand not only for themselves, the one who built it, but also for others, for generations to come and for everyone who would be in that region to see that altar and know that that was something special about God. 
In fact, a few weeks ago, if you may, you may recall, in chapter 8 and verse 20 of Genesis, after Moses, after Noah, uh, the, 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 the rain had subsided, the land was dry, God opened the door of the ark and instructed uh, Noah and his family and all the animals to leave. And in verse 20 then, it says this, uh, that Noah had built an altar to, the God, to God, and there he sacrificed to him. And God spoke this. He said, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As soon as Noah comes off the ark, the first thing he does is he establishes that altar. And there now God gives that great covenant that he would never do that again. Then last week in chapter, chapter 12, verse 7, it says that, that God revealed that he would give all of the land of Canaan to the offspring of Abram. Now remember, Abram didn't have children yet. And it was there at Bethel, between Bethel and Ai, that he built an altar to God. Now following him leaving Egypt, that's exactly where he returned. He returned to that altar, that place where God had given him the promise that I will bless you and I will bless your children. And that's where he goes. This man who had made this horrible blunder, following this, this incredible failure in his life, the first thing he does is he goes back to that altar. You know, friends, Romans 3.23 tells us this, that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even a patriarch like Abram blew it big time. But the difference is, as a believer, friends, we have a God who is willing to forgive us if we're willing to return to him. See, an altar has, excuse me, a believer has an altar to return to. It's that altar of salvation. And when we're, listen, when we make mistakes, when we're in those dark times, we've got to return to that altar. Go back to that time, maybe when, when you first acknowledged who God was, maybe that time when you first understood his love for you. Go back to that altar. Maybe for you it was when you were baptized that you can still so clearly remember. Or that, or that time that God just, just, just blessed you or, or answered your prayer. Or maybe if you're one that keeps a prayer journal, you go back and look through that. But anytime we go back to that altar, to be reminded of who God is, to remember his love for us. If you're here today, maybe you're in the midst of a trial or, or a dark time, or, or you, know, you fill in the blank. I ask that question, do you have an altar to return to? Or do you need to establish that altar in your life. You need to establish that covenant of salvation. So when those times come, and they will, you'll have that place, that time to return to. Do you know when David, uh, King David had made a horrible blunder also, he had sinned with Bathsheba. And his friend Nathan confronted him of these sins. And Psalm 51 is this beautiful psalm of him just pouring his heart out and confessing his sins. And in that, in verse 12, as he's crying out to God with great passion, he said this, Now restore the joy of your salvation to me. David had had an adulterous affair with this woman. David had, had, had put her, her husband on the front line of the military for him to be killed because she was found pregnant with his child. 
He was an adulterous murderer. And even him, as he came back to that altar, that place to, to say, God, but I know you still love me. And I want you to restore not just my salvation, but even my joy. Because he had that altar to return to. Friend, that's what God can do for you. Listen, he can turn your test into a testimony. That's what an altar is. Remember, it is a testimony for you and for others. It's been said, God will turn your test into testimony. He'll turn your mess into a message if you're willing to give it to him. If you're willing to go to that place to return to him. You know, I often say this that in marriage counseling. I'll have the couple sitting on the couch. I've probably shared this before, but, but I'll ask them. I'll say, now listen, don't look at me. I want you to look at each other. And I'll ask them this question, out of all the billions of people in this world today, you chose each other for some reason. And I said, now, now, now do this. I want you to tell one another what you most love about them. What is it that you chose them over everything else? This is what I love more than anything else. And I'll make sure the wife goes first so the guy will have plenty of time to get his answer right, right? Um, but then, then they'll share that. They'll share what they so love about them. And then as they finish that time, I'll tell you that what I want to do is I want to build that altar. Because listen, you're going to go through some hard times in marriage. Can I get an amen, husbands and wives? <laughs> that was pitiful. Y'all want to be real for a minute? You're going to have some hard times, husband and wives, ain't you? Okay, there we go, right? Um, and I said, it's going to come. I know y'all don't believe it now because everything's just great, new and shiny, but, but it's going to come. And you need to go back to this place. You need to, to remember what you first fell in love with and why. Friends, if you're there, return to that first love. Find that joy that David spoke about. Turn that test into a testimony. Allow God to turn that mess into a message. And while, just like we saw in Abram, he may not intervene, friend, he will redeem. I don't care how far you've gone, he will redeem. This wasn't Abram's first sin. It won't be his last sin. I dare to say it's not even his greatest sin. And yet, do you know what the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet, said in chapter 41 and verse 8? He said, but you, Israel, descendant of Abram, my friend. God referred to Abraham, a friend of God, and yet a man who had a colossal blunder. Let me do this this morning. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Just, just, just close your eyes right where you are. I want you, to, I want you to go back to that place. Go back to that time when, when you felt the closest to God that you've ever felt. Maybe it was that time of salvation. Maybe it was time of a blessing. Go back to that place and remember God's love for you. Regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of what's happened since, go back to that time when your relationship with Him, with him was just so pure. And if for, for, for others, maybe it's now is that time for you to call on God, call on Him right now for you to, to make this altar in your life, to cry out to Him and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I want to find that joy of salvation that David spoke of. I want to be forgiven like we see in the life of Abram. Cry out to him right now and say, God, forgive me. God, I, I give my life to you. May this moment be your altar.
can open your eyes. But, hey, believers, aren't you thankful to have an altar to return to? Aren't you thankful that no matter what kind of mess we're in right now, we can go back to that place. We can go back to that time. We can, we can remember when God was so real, when his love was, was so fresh in our life. Don't ever lose sight of that. Return to that place. And then listen, if you've made that choice today to build that altar for the first time at the close of this service, I want to talk with you. I want to share with you how you can now grow in that relationship with him. Let's keep reading, though, in our text. I've still got a little bit of time. Verse 5, after all this, now, now Lot was traveling with Abram. He also had flocks, herds, and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Since we are relatives, isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zohar was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, so Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot in the cities on the plain and set up his tent, I want you to mark this, near Sodom. Verse 13, now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look, from the place where you are, look north and look south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. Verse 18, so Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Now, I want us to see this in the time we have left. Notice, here's Lot again. Lot just kind of keeps popping up. I had, I had you notated earlier in verse 2. And in fact, if we go back to look at that, he's kind of like that, that tag along, right? He, he, he's just hanging around. Why? Because it says uh, Abram took uh, all of his family and everything, and Lot joined him. Notice what verse 2 said. By the way, Abraham was very, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. What we see in Lot, he's kind of that, uh, that family member that just hangs on for the ride. You, you know, some of y'all can relate to that. Uh, you know there's that sucker fish that hangs on to a shark. Remora, is that right? Is that, I think it's a remora. Yes, let's go with that. All right, we're going to call it a remora. Right? It just kind of hangs on. It's just in for the right. It's just going to kind of suck off that shark the whole time. Well, that's kind of what we see in Lot, right? He's just that family member who, who tags along everywhere Abram goes, right? But what we also see in his life, we're going to see play, play, uh, played out throughout Scripture, is that Lot always has drama in his life too. There's always something going on. And I think almost, I think, believe all families can relate to this. Can we not? There's always that one family member who's just kind of there, that, that one family member who's, who's always bringing drama in, right? And if you can't relate right now and you say, not my family, 
you may be the one that brings crazy to Christmas, right? I, I don't know, but it's like every family has that. And we kind of see that in Lot. In verse 8 then says that Abraham and, and, and Lot's uh, herds had grown, God had blessed them, they had grown significantly, and their herdsmen then began to, to quarrel, likely arguing over who would get the better pasture land, who would get the best watering hole. Hey, your herds mix with my herd. You know, typical uh, arguments or quarrels that they would have. And here's something else to notice too. You notice in, in Scripture we see this repeatedly, but certainly here in Abram's life, the more prosperous they became, the more wealthy, that's what those animals, that was a sign of wealth. The more prosperous they became, the more issues they faced. Because I want to tell you, that's true in Scripture. It's true for today also. Prosperity, be on guard. Consider what you do with it. Consider your blessings. Because I'm going to tell you, it ushers in a lot of issues. I can't tell you how many families have split over inheritances. Well, this one got more than this one should have got. Well, I should have got. Well, I was left. Wasn't yours in the first place. Nobody deserved anything, right? And yet families will, will separate. I want to tell you, when people receive a lot of money, unwarranted, that they didn't work for, it's usually a death knell to them. Time and time again. Hey, you see it played out in sports. You see these athletes that get paid millions of dollars, millions of dollars before they ever even play the sport. Right? That's why this NIL thing's just awful. I'm not going to get into that. But, right, they get all this money. And so you have people who've never had money, now have tons of it. And what happens after a few years of receiving multi-million dollar paychecks, they're bankrupt. They, they, can't, they can't deal with it. And we said here, the wealthier they got, the more issues they face. And so they have this conflict. But what we see laid out is in conflict, Abram's character is not created here, but it is revealed. It is revealed, isn't it? Uh, just like we saw uh, in, in the church in Acts, right, that I, I talked about earlier. Listen, they had some conflict in the church, but they were always united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here we see Abram facing some conflict. Now, the typical response would be one of two things. Either the two families would go to war and win or take all, or the elder, who was Abram, would choose for both of them. The elder had the right and the privilege to say, this is the land I will take, and this is the land you will take. I will go here, and you will go there. But Abraham's response is unimaginable. He, he waves his right. He waves his authority. What, for the sake of peace? And also for the sake of testimony. You see, he didn't want the Canaanites and Perizzites to see godly people quarreling. Did you see that? His testimony for God meant more than anything else. For him, he just wanted God to get the glory, that they were both blessed. He didn't care who was right. He didn't care who was wrong. It wasn't about that. He didn't care if he got more. He didn't care if he got less. He wanted God to get the glory. And so he trusted God. He knew that God would take care of him. And so by faith, he said, go ahead, Lot, you choose first. God's got me wherever I land, living by faith. Now, Lot, however, makes his choice. Not by faith, but what? By sight. He looked out and saw that land. In fact, verse 10 says that, that the area he was looking at looked like the Garden of Eden. It, has, I mean, it was gorgeous. It was well watered. And then I want you to see through there, there's a, the CSB has a parenthetical statement right there. Sometimes when you see parenthetical, it's not in the original manuscripts. In this case, it is. The CSB does that, though, just to highlight that, to, to bring greater attention to it. Because what that says, it reminds us that this was before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. 
before God rains down his judgment that we're going to get to in the weeks ahead, listen, it was a beautiful, luscious land. It looked like the Garden of Eden. Today, however, it's one of the hottest, driest places on earth. It's literally the desert region on the outskirts of the Dead Sea. Some of you have been there. It's a hot, dry place. But then it was beautiful. It was luscious. And it says Lot looks out, and he pitched his tent there. But where did he pitch his tent? Near Sodom. We have that then second parenthetical statement there to talk about how the people of, of Sodom were living in that time. Certainly Lot knew the testimony of that city, and yet he chose to be there. See, I believe Lot thought, listen, I can gaze, but not engage. I can live over there and get some of his blessing, but, but not be a part of what they're doing. But friends, where we see that he was living near Sodom here, by chapter 14, it tells us he's living in Sodom. And then by chapter 19, it tells us that, that he is literally in the gateway of the city. That means not only was he living in the city, but he was really, he, he was a member of their government. He, he was an official in that city, staying in the city gates. That same story that we saw played out with Eve in the garden. Remember, God said, hey, stay away from that tree. Don't eat the fruit, uh, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. But what does Eve do? She, she's close enough she can see it. And then ultimately gets close enough where Satan begins to tempt her. And now she's not only looking at it, but she's gazing at that fruit and considering, man, it looks good. It looks pleasing. And, and Satan's lying in her ear the whole time. And, and she takes that fruit and then ultimately eats that fruit. Well, that, that's exactly what we see. He's near Sodom. And they say, we know he, he's in Sodom. And then ultimately, Sodom gets in him. See, Lot lived by sight. He chose what looked pleasing to himself, Abram by faith. And now, for the first time, God then reveals his will for Abram. He says there, in, beginning in verse 14, towards the end, look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. Look all around, and I'm going to give it all to your offspring forever. All the land that you see, and I will make your offspring like the dust of the ground. There's two things there. First of all, he says, you're going to have it all. Look up, look down, look all around. Right? Everything you see, it's going to be yours. And again, even your offspring. He had yet to have children. And then we close out chapter 13, the same place we began. In verse 4, Abraham returned to an altar. In verse 18, after having this blessing and this promise from God, he builds a new altar. I pray for us today, for every person here, that during our time, we had our eyes closed, that that on this day you either return to an altar or you built one. Friends, have that altar to go back to. Remember the depth, the breadth of God's love for you. I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 14 because what takes place then is the region of Sodom where, Sod, where, where Lot lived at the time. Uh, they, they got engaged in a war, and it was five kings teamed up with all their men against four other kings and, and their men and their cities. And in the midst of battle, Lot is captured. Abraham then gets word that, that Lot was taken captive, and he gathers his men. They go out, and they whoop them. I mean, they, they, they just put it on them. Got back Lot, got back everything they had stolen, and plus the plunders of the war. Well, then following that, this man that we're introduced to by the name of Melchizedek comes out then to meet Abram. Now, what's interesting about Melchizedek, he was both a priest and a king. In fact, his name means king of righteousness. 
And because Melchizedek in Scripture as well as in history just kind of pops up on the scene and then disappears again, we, we know very little about him, but many believe that he's actually a pre-incarnate Christ. That it, it was Jesus who, who came out to meet him. Or, or at least most people would say that he is a type of Christ. He, he is something in Scripture that foreshadows the coming of Jesus. We see the type of Christ, uh, of Christ both in a person, a place, or a theme. Remember when we were talking about the Ark of Noah, and I said that the Ark was one big picture of who Jesus Christ is. Right? They had to come into the ark to be saved, and everyone outside of the ark perished. Well, we have to come into Christ. That was a picture of our relationship with him. We're going to also see another uh, picture uh, or, or, or image of Christ in, in the ram that is sacrificed in place of a child. But Abraham was blessed by the Lord. He, he was victory in battle. He had all these new possessions now. And he immediately goes to this Melchizedek, this, this priest, and gives a tenth of all that he had had. It's here for the first time in Scripture we see the, the principle of the tithe. Then you say, well, that means that's an Old Testament principle, right? That's not for the New Testament. That was for them. They gave a tithe or a tenth, right? And you're right. That was a principle then. But friends, how much more under grace for us then that stands really as a starting point for God's goodness? I mean, you remember what Jesus said. You know, you, you, you are told to not commit murder. That's what the Old Testament says. But I'm telling you, you don't even have hatred in your heart. Old Testament said, hey, you shall not commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even look at another person with sinful thoughts and desires. How much more is required under grace? And so Abram, then, he wants to give. He couldn't wait to give it, and he wouldn't hold back. And so he gives a ten. See, that's what tithing is. It's giving your first and giving your best. And did you know everyone in this room is a tither? We all give our first to something or someone. We all give our best to something or someone. The question is, who is it or what is it that gets our first and our best? You remember the, the greatest difference between Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Abel Abel's sacrifice was, was his first and best. Cain, however, gave just from his excess. Likely, it was given on an altar there at the gate of the Garden of Eden. We're not told that in Scripture, but that's believed to be the case. And so here, after Abram gets a haul of this new plunder, after he gets all of this blessing, all of this victory, and people are looking to him like, man, you are amazing. Look what you've done. He refused to take credit for himself. Why? Because once again, he wanted God to get all the glory. Once again, living by faith, not by sight. He trusted God for his blessing, not the land. Gave Lot first choice. And when he had received all these blessings, he didn't say, look what I've done, but instead, look what God has provided. And so that's our question today. Listen, will you live by faith? Will you give by faith? And may you never lose sight of your altar, of that testimony of God's love for you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can have that altar in our life because Christ died for us while we were sinners, yet he still gave everything for us. God, may we never lose sight of that love. May we never forget the altar of our salvation. If there's anyone here today who's made that confession for the first time, I pray you'll give them the courage to step out by faith and to walk in a new life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. I want to thank you so much.